Good morning again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 41 through 47. That will be our sermon text for this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Before we read God's word, let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you again to seek your face again, to ask you again that you would soften our hearts and minds, that we would hear your word and receive your word and believe your word, that you by your spirit would plant your word deeply into our souls, that it would bear its fruit in us. Father, we pray that you would be at work to glorify yourself through your word among your people, even this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love the church. I know that uh, the church often has a bad name for a lot of people, but I, I really do love the church. Uh, the church, according to Scripture, is the bride of Christ the temple of the Spirit, the children of the Father. Church is a fruitful vineyard and a city set on a hill and the salt of the earth. The church, Scripture tells us, is our mother and we are her children. And as, we, and, and as I've been reading and thinking about the church and about the community of the church in Acts, I read Acts chapter 2, and I think, this is what I want for our church. And I have to confess, though, as I, as I read these verses, I, I really have no idea how to do community. I'm, I'm bad at it, personally. I mean, I'm busy. I'm, I'm, I'm a doer, so I'm constantly doing something. I'm distracted. And I, I value my freedom and my time and my money. And e even when I'm at my best, even when I'm, I'm you know, really thinking about other people and not just myself, uh, I I'm not really sure what genuine community looks like all the time. How do, you, how do we actually work these things out in day-to-day -day life? It's hard to say, which I guess means we have to work them out together, which makes sense. We've been studying Acts for a few weeks now. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 2, which is this great day of Pentecost. And uh, when Jesus pours out his spirit upon the church, 
when he baptizes the church into communion with himself, when he fills the church with his fullness for ministry in the world. Today we're going to look at the the end of this chapter and the end result of Jesus' baptizing work. Luke's picture in Luke chapter 2 seems uh, idyllic, flawless, utopian even. And yet his point is not to sentimentalize the church, but stripping away the, the many complicated details, he gives us the essence of the common life of God's people. Luke will get into many of the difficulties that the church faces, persecution, temptation, division. It's all there in Acts as we move on. But before we get into the church's messiness, we must understand what it is at its core. Luke's focus there is on community, on the the common life that flows out of the message of the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The church... Uh, are a people, the church is a people that shares a common life, which several parts you can see listed in uh, the bulletin, on the back of the bulletin, we have an outline there. The church shares a common life, uh, which often remains, however, a very uncommon life. So first, head, we're going to talk about the common life of the church. You know, human uh, life in our age in general, as we experience it, is fragmented. Uh, it's, it's not just in the world with religion and, and politics and, and race where every conversation uh, seems like a field full of landmines just waiting to be stepped on. But even in the church, right, we have our issues, don't we? We have our pet doctrines for which we are ready at any moment to draw a line in the sand. Uh, we're often territorial or selfish or proud. Paul says that we bite and devour each other at times. James says we quarrel and fight and covet. There seems to be little foundation there for for living a common life. And even when there aren't arguments, right, when there's no conflict, when there's no disagreement, uh, life is still pretty disconnected. Individualism reigns. Uh, We make decisions about our career and about our neighborhood, about where we're going to live and where we're going to work, with little thought of any larger community than our immediate nuclear family. Which, of course, means if we're single, uh, our decisions about life tend to revolve just around us. There's little foundation here for living a common life. Technology, which makes a great servant but a terrible God, Uh, holds out the promise of connecting us to the world. But like most idols, it cannot deliver on its promises. We spend uh, more time looking at our phones than we do people. We spend our lives jumping from notification to notification, from text message to Facebook post. And the result is we feel more disconnected from people than we ever have before. Again, there's little foundation here for the, 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 the life, for living a common life. But a common life is what we find in Luke's picture of the early church. Uh, Peter on Pentecost exhorted his hearers, whoever you are, whatever your background, turn to Jesus and be rescued. And we read in verse 41, uh, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? There were added that day 3,000 souls. Added to what? 
Well, again, uh, just a verse before that, Peter had exhorted his hearers in verse 40, be saved from this crooked generation. That is, be rescued out of this community, a community that is in danger of judgment. But to be saved out of one community is to be brought into another. So Acts chapter 1, we read earlier uh, that, that 120 people were gathered in the upper room praying and this 120 people in Acts 1 forms the, the nucleus of the, the, the remnant of Israel. And, and notice verse 42. Oh, to, to this little group, before we get to verse 42, to this little group of 120 people, right, the 3,000 are added. And so we have here the, the church, right, the beginning of the, the, the remnant of Israel who's come out of the people destined for judgment by looking to Jesus. And now notice verse 42. Verse 42 says of this people that they devoted themselves. This new community shares a common life. They can be talked about as an entity, a they. And uh, verse 44 says they were together and they had all things in common. Verse 46 says they attended the temple together. Verse 47 says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, God continues to add to this remnant, to this new community. People were being brought out of, quote, this generation, destined for judgment, and into the new community of the forgiven to share in this common life. The question is, though, in what does this common life consist? What is this all about? And that begins with a common confession. On the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter had preached Christ as crucified and risen from the dead. He demonstrated from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. And he commanded all people to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He proclaimed, whoever you are, the promises are for you. Turn and be rescued. And as we read, 3,000 believed that day. See, Peter proclaimed that that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. And the church is built on this common confession. Jesus is the resurrected Lord. You find this not just here, but again and again in the New Testament. That Jesus is Lord is the confession of the church. And notice this new community in verse 42 devotes itself to the apostles' teaching. Well, what did the apostles teach? They they taught Jesus as the resurrected Lord in Christ, right? Jesus as the Messiah who had come to reign on David's throne. Jesus as the Savior, the one who came to save all who call on his name. And this new community is devoted to this teaching. In fact, it's defined by this teaching, right? Verse 41 says, those who received Paul's word were added to the church. Verse 44 says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, you know, right, that that people in the church don't agree on everything. But apart from the confession of Jesus as the resurrected Lord, there is no church. Apart from this common belief, we are not a community. This, This is why Christians are called believers, That uh, Luke uses that term at least five times in the book of Acts. He says, the believers were together. The believers did this. The believers did that. 
It is, it is our common confession that unites us. And, and this is not new, actually. Uh, God's people have always been defined by a common confession. If you, if you were to look back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, a, a well-known verse, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was the confession of Israel. And if you rejected that confession, right, if you denied that the Lord is one, if you denied that the Lord was your God, then you were forcibly removed from Israel. You were not a part of the community if you did not share in that common confession. Well, now Israel's Messiah has come. The true Israel must turn to her Messiah, as Joel said, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And so what characterizes the church? We have this common confession. We call on the name of the Lord Jesus. We hold certain beliefs in common. Now again, we don't, we don't uh, believe everything the same, right? We, we don't feel the need for uniformity. But we must, there must be agreement on certain essentials, such as Jesus as the risen Lord and Messiah. This is a, a non-negotiable in the church. These are, are people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching and so devoted to the Scripture and its teaching on Jesus as the Messiah. And, and our goal, the church's goal ever since, has, has been to conform ourselves, to conform our beliefs, to conform our minds to the apostles' teaching, especially as it pertains to Jesus. Now what this means is we, we don't actually share a, a common life with everyone. It is the common life of the church, right? Our, our common life has certain boundaries. Those boundaries have to do with our common confession of Jesus as the risen Lord and Messiah. This fellowship extends to all who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and no one else. Uh, it, it doesn't mean we don't practice hospitality to those outside. It doesn't mean we don't invite others in. But, but our fellowship is fundamentally with those who believe. Now, I know that uh, those might be seen as fighting words in our pluralistic age, but really my greater concern is not what the world might think, but how wrongly we often get this. Um, you know, often we want to blur those lines. We hesitate uh, to insist upon exclusivity in the church, and so we, we lose our confession as we broaden our borders because we don't want to put our foot down and say, no, this is who we are. We are a people who believes something and something in particular or we go the opposite direction and we sort of tighten up our borders we make everything a line in the sand and our fellowship is not with all those who confess jesus as the risen lord and messiah but only with those who are like us with those in our theological camp or our liturgical tradition or or worse our political persuasion but if we really believe that Jesus is our common denominator, right, we must so speak and act in such a way that invites all who confess him into our common life. Our line in the sand is not politics or academics or specific social concerns or even our the uh, theological idiosyncrasies. But our line in the sand is Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. That's where we stand. So this common life consists in a common confession, Jesus as Lord. But it not only consists in this common confession, but, but it also a common concern. Maybe what is most obvious to us about this community as we read about it in the book of Acts is, is its common concern for one another. 
Uh, verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And fellowship uh, there means participation or having things in common. Which is what verse 44 says, all who believed had all things in common. And then verse 45 uh, tells us that they went so far as to sell their possessions and belongings and distribute the proceeds to each other as they had need. In fact, that term, the term fellowship in Scripture often, not always, but often actually has, this, uh, has financial overtones. And it's this aspect of the early church's common life that is so radical to us. They had this common concern. They were concerned for one another. They cared for one another to such a degree that they that led to a radical generosity toward one another. If anyone was in need financially, the others would sell something they had in order to have the money needed to support their brother or sister in Christ. That was true not only in the local church, as we see it here, it was true in the church at large, as we see Paul going around taking a collection from various Gentile churches for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. But notice, notice what, this, what I didn't call this point, right? I didn't call it a common purse. That would be a different thing, right? A common purse is when we all take our money and we put it in a big pot and uh, anyone who needs money can just take whatever they need from that common purse. Sometimes people read this passage in Acts as saying that kind of a thing. It's kind of a Christian communism, right? We just, we just pull our money together and uh, anybody who needs whatever they want, they can just take it out. Uh, that's not what's happening here. We, we know that uh, for a number of reasons. We know that uh, this is not the practice of the early church as we look through Acts, which we'll see as we go on. But even as we look at the letters of Paul, uh, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, what's interesting is if, if, if we had a common purse, if the church had a common purse, uh, there would be no rich people and they can't be generous. A common purse actually castrates generosity, right? It disables us from being generous financially. What we are called to is actually much harder than this. Uh, Harder than some kind of an enforced religious communal life. What we find here is a voluntary selling and distributing as any had need. You, you give up something of what you have voluntarily to supply the lack of another. You don't have to give, right? Uh, what you have is yours. Uh, you're the steward of it. You're the one who, whom God is going to hold accountable for it. You don't have to give. You give to be generous out of God's generosity to you. And in response to the abundance of God's grace given to us in the gospel. So we're called to have this kind of common concern for one another. Meaning that what, what is your concern is my concern. What's my concern is your concern. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Our lives are not our own, as we read earlier in the scripture reading, right? We, we belong to one another. We are members of one another. And we, we often say we're members of the body of Christ, and that's true. But what that means is, according to the scripture, we are members of one another. There's something radical in that. So our, our common life, right, is created by this common confession 
but it issues forth in this common concern for one another. Next, it is characterized by a common worship. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then verse 46 says, they attended the temple together and broke bread in their homes. Uh, it's possible that these two verses are, are uh, a lot of them at least, is repetition. It's possible that there's really only two things being mentioned there. Temple prayers, like going, attending the temple or praying would be the same thing, and breaking bread. But whatever the case, uh, a few things are clearly emphasized. Uh, first is their worship, right, is, is, is public. They're attending the temple, and yet it's also private. They're breaking bread in their homes. Uh, second, their, their worship involved prayer. Uh, we, we'll see examples of this throughout the book of Acts, but the early church felt this new freedom to approach God's throne of grace wherever they were, not just in the temple, but in their homes, in their marketplaces, wherever they were, they're praying, calling out to their God, approaching the throne of grace through their sacrifice of Jesus, through their great high priest. Third, this worship involved table fellowship, right? breaking bread, uh, which probably involved the Lord's Supper as a part of a larger communal meal. Similar to how, uh, by the way, how we do potluck when we uh, have the Lord's Supper. That's actually not just convenient. Uh, they're actually connected. These two things relate, right? Our fellowship with God at God's table issues forth into meaningful table fellowship with one another. That was the way it was from the beginning. The Lord's Supper was celebrated as a part of a larger meal. Finally, their worship was daily, right? Verse 46 says, day by day, they're attending the temple together, praising God. So we have this public and private prayer and sacrament day by day. Each church is devoted to communion with God. The early church was devoted to communion with God together. Now, it's interesting because when we think of devotions, when you hear that term devotions, uh, we tend to think of, of individual disciplines. But everything that mentioned here is mentioned here is corporate. It, it, it's, it's a group activity. Whether they were attending the temple or in their homes, whether sitting at the apostles' feet or praying or breaking bread, they weren't alone. What would a Christian life look like that, that while not, not neglecting the individual disciplines, was not focused on them either? Uh, while not neglecting our personal relationship to God, right, was not focused on that to the neglect of our relationship to God as a community. Our communal, daily interactions with our Father. What, what would that look like? What, what, what might that look like? What could that look like in 2017? With all our technology and our busy commuter culture, when we, we don't live where we work, we don't live where we worship, uh, we don't live uh, with our fellow Christians next door or even down the street, what, what, what can this kind of communal Christianity, this corporate devotion to God look like? I don't know. I think we need to consider it together, right? work it out together, creatively strive to do the Christian life together. Maybe their day-to-day -day fellowship right, would be genuinely unrealistic for us. Day by day, they were in the temple. Okay, but how can we still put our foot down and say we're not going to give in to the individualism of our age we will live a life of, of corporate confession and corporate concern and corporate worship. You know, there are two things, uh, two 
mundane things in some ways that, that come to my mind as I think about this. Uh, you know, one very practical aspect of our corporate worship, moving from the more heady to the mundane, um, one, one basic part of our common worship uh, means making sure that everyone can participate, right? that everyone can be here together at the same time in the same place. And uh, one thing that, w- that we need to address as a community, and it's, it's going to become more urgent as time goes on, I think, is how to enable uh, mothers of infants and toddlers to be here in our midst. Uh, if we believe that one mark of our common life is common worship, but people are hindered from that, how can we serve one another and make that happen? Right? That's a really mundane, a really simple thing, but it's something we have to work at as a community. Um, and, I, and I hope, right, as we wrestle through this, someone or someones will pick this up, uh, will figure out how to have a nursery here in the Y somewhere um, uh, for moms who want to make use of it. You know, already we could use that. Uh, and yet, again, uh, more and more as time goes on, that's going to become a necessity for us as a church. This would be a very practical, very tangible expression of this belief that our common life includes this common worship. And we want to enable people to be a part of this uh, however we can. You know, a second uh, thing that stands out as you read their life of common worship is that their breaking their bread was in their homes. The breaking of bread was in their homes. Uh, And uh, the Lord's Supper was always a part of this larger meal together. And one expression of this common life then is is eating together. Uh, Now, you know, people love to eat, right? And, and, and we love to eat together. We love to throw a feast. We love to throw a party. Um, how can we emphasize that as a community, that we enjoy this common life together by eating together regularly with one another? Uh, and, and I know we do that in formal ways, right? Once a month, we have a potluck. That's a, that's a formal way of doing it. Everything doesn't have to be formal. It can be informal as well. It might mean that after the worship service, you look around, you see somebody you don't know very well, and you invite them over for lunch on the spur of the moment, having no idea what's in your closet or in your fridge, right? You just say, you know, why don't you come over? It, you know, it really will be potluck, right? We're going to figure out what's at home in a pot in my fridge. We'll heat it up and hope that it's edible. Um, you know, but, but you do that, right? You do that because you want to build community with one another, right? You want to get to know one another. That's how community works. It's not easy, it's scary, um, but but that's community, it's messy, right? Um, During the week, we do the same thing, right? You can go out to lunch with uh, one person or two people, right? Get together, pray together, read scripture together, take the effort to continue this fellowship and this worship throughout the week. Doesn't have to be big, doesn't have to be formal, doesn't have to be a program, right? You don't have to wait for for David and Scott and I to come up with something like, here's the next program we're going to do. Uh, and it's going to mean whatever. No, you just, just invite somebody over. Say, hey, let's, let's go out to lunch on Thursday. Right? Get to know one another and continue the fellowship and the community that we enjoy on Sunday mornings. Well, uh, it takes effort, doesn't it, to do those things. Um, but, but it's worth it as a church. And it brings us actually to our, our final point under this first head, uh, common witness. Uh, Verse 43 tells us that all came upon every soul, and uh, that was particularly because of the apostles' signs and wonders, which I think were particular to the apostles. We'll talk about that more in coming weeks uh, as we see some of those signs and wonders in the book of Acts. But verse 47 says that the early church had favor with all the people. 
Why did they have favor with all the people? Uh, well, it's interesting. We're not told here in Acts chapter 2 that, uh, about any good works outside of the Christian community. Uh, we're not told that they cared for the poor in Jerusalem uh, or that they cleaned up the streets or they, they, they did after-school tutoring, right? All of those things are good things to do, but that's not what the early church did here. Um, what did they do? They were the church. Uh, it was their devotion to prayer and to one another that awed the people around them. It was their commitment to God and their love for each other. And when we live as the church, we bear witness that, that we have been brought out of this, quote, crooked generation, as Peter calls it, and into the community of the Messiah, the community of the new age, the community of the new creation. Our witness, in fact, depends upon us being the church. If we are not the church, we really have no witness. On the one hand, we witness to Christ's historical acts, right? The Messiah died and rose from the dead. But as the resurrected Messiah, Jesus is building his church. And so it's Jesus' community, not just our words, but the community that bears witness to his resurrection. The lone Christian witness is all but an oxymoron in the book of Acts. Uh, we see a couple of instances of individuals witnessing, but, but it's not that they're divorced from a community, just that there are times when they witness as individual members of that community. But even then, it's actually the exception. They're normally together as they're bearing witness to what God has done. And never is it that people without, some, without a community witness to Jesus. It, it can't work. Uh, how can you bear witness to Jesus who is building his church if you're not a part of the church? How can you bear witness to Jesus who is gathering his sheep if you are outside of the sheepfold? How can you bear witness to Jesus who is reconciling the nations to himself and to one another if you can't get along with anyone well enough to settle into that international community? Witness apart from the common life of the church is, is at best partial, but at worst a lie. We produce a common witness as we live a common life as the church. Our witness flows out of that life, of that community. All right, so we've looked at our common life, which includes a common confession, a common concern, a common worship, and a common witness. Finally, we're going to look at this second head, uh, an uncommon life. The life of the church is, is a common life in the sense that we live it together uh, we hold this life in common, and yet sadly, this common life is actually often uncommon in the church. Uh, why would that be? Why is this common life so uncommon in the church? Why, why is life in the church so hard? What stands in our way? Well, there are a number of things, I, at least three that I could think of um, that stand out. Uh, one is that the pleasures of this life... One, Second is the troubles of this life. And a third is the, the individualistic spirit of our age. Right? So the, the pleasures of this life. Uh, you know, we often think that our age it has many more distractions than any previous age. You know, TV and movies and Internet and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, all of these things distract us, vie for our attention. And yet every age has had its distractions. The flesh is, is no different uh, in any age. You know, you know, the Apostle Paul once had a co-worker named Demas. 
Uh, we read about him a number of times in Scripture. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, uh, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Philemon, uh, verses 23 and 24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. What do we know about this guy, Demas? We don't know much. He's listed there a couple of times as one of Paul's fellow workers. Then we read in 2 Timothy 4, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. See, if we are pursuing the pleasures of this life, not merely enjoying them, they're, they're given for our good to be enjoyed, but pursuing them in any age, it will hinder your participation in the church's common life, in the church's uh, community, and in the church's witness. The gospel must be, be more precious to us than this life. Until the gospel is more precious to us than the pleasures of this life, this kind of community will elude us. Right? And until God's love is more precious to us than the pleasures of this life, this kind of community will elude us. Until other people reflecting the image of our Father in the body are more precious to us than the pleasures of this life, this kind of community will elude us. Because the pleasures of this life, whether the pleasures of the first century A.D. or of the 21st century A.D., the pleasures of this life will distract us from the church and call us away uh, from the community God has called us into. And yet it's not just the pleasures of this life that hinder this community, but the trials of this life often do as well. Uh, we, we live in a, a community here in Champaign-Urbana that, that is very well educated. Right? Lots of degrees, uh, lots of learning. But when it comes to life, oftentimes those degrees mean very little. Uh, you know, when Deborah and I have to get four boys ready for school in the morning, right, all of our academic degrees mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> They're not helpful. Unless there's a spill. Maybe we could, you know, use them to mop up something. Uh, you, you see, despite learning and academics, uh, we often feel overwhelmed, don't we? Frustrated at life, angry, depressed, undone. Life is hard. The church is supposed to be our refuge from the storm our oasis in the desert, the nurse of our wounds. But you know how it is when you are troubled, when you're hurried, when you're harried, when life is, seems out of control, uh, participation in the church just seems like one more thing, one more hurdle we have to get over. We look at the common life of the church not as a source of strength, but as, as yet another obstacle to get through. Now, in part... It's our faith that needs to grow here. As we lift our eyes off of our troubles, we place our eyes on the glory of God in Christ. And yet, at the same time, right, how can we as a community relentlessly work to make this time, this gathering, a gathering of grace? How can we work to make this time where, where people are excited to gather together with their church family because it's truly a refuge from life's storms. A time that doesn't drain life, but, but gives rest and gives life. 
where people walk in and know that this is a life-giving fellowship where each person comes not, not to be served, but to serve. Of course, it's not only the, the pleasures of this life and the trials of this life that often keep us from the common life, uh, but also just the individualism of our age. Uh, you know, being a part of the church is often hard. Uh, things aren't always done the way that we want. Uh, we, we have to submit to other people's decisions about service times or music choices. We have to put up with people with whom we might disagree, uh, people whose theology we might not like or whose politics we might not like or, or whose life choices we sometimes disagree with, people who may be just plain old loud and obnoxious. And our knee-jerk reaction is just to leave. Just, just go find a new church. Uh, when we find flaws with that one or experience conflict in that one, well, we, we just continue to move on. As a result, we never truly experience the, the deep common life of the church. We remain rootless and wandering. Well, both the pleasures and the trials of this life and the individualism of our age often keep us from this common life. Lift, lift your eyes. Set them in heaven where Christ is seated. Delight in our Father and His children, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Know that when we gather, Christ gathers in our midst. Believe these things by faith. Not because we see a blinding light uh, at church or because we're moved by the music or engaged by the sermon or because we feel good about the relationships. No, we walk by faith and not by sight. God needs to be the joy of our hearts. He meets with us in the midst of our common life, even when it's boring, even when it's difficult. Maybe especially when it's difficult. Uh, you, you know that uh, promise of Jesus that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in our midst, in their midst, right? We, we quote that all the time. It's a great verse. We should quote it all the time. Uh, that promise is about times of conflict and discipline. Matthew 18. That, that not just in the easy times in the life of the church, but in the hard times, Jesus says, I will be there. When it's difficult, when it's a challenge. I will be there in your midst. Jesus is with us in the church, even in or especially in the hard parts, when community is a challenge and a struggle. Which means that our common life is actually uncommon in another way. Our common life is really no common life at all. Uh, devotion to the teaching of Jesus, doing life with one another, worshiping our God together, right? these may appear rather ordinary. And however uh, common and ordinary this life may appear, it's actually the life of union with the resurrected Jesus. It's the life of belonging to the one who rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this Jesus who rose and ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father is reigning right now in heaven. He is in our midst working to make all things new. In a world full of death and decay and depression, that is no common life. Now, as, I, as I wrestle with these things and I think about our own church, right, how to live this out, uh, 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 almost a month ago now, at our last potluck, at one point I kind of sat back and I was looking around the room and uh, I noticed various groups of people talking. And... Uh, 
you know, there were, there were old and young talking together. There were students and community people talking together. And, and I was really kind of overwhelmed, uh, just overjoyed, humbled, amazed right, at the community that God is building in this place. People who love Jesus, right? People who are committed to God's word, who are committed to one another, who are committed to worship. And so even as we praise God, for what he has been doing over the last 10 years, we can also pray that God would take us deeper, deeper into this common life over the next 10 years. That our common life then would lead to a common witness to the work of our risen Lord in our midst. Please pray with me. Our Father, we are, we are overwhelmed at what you are doing. Lord Jesus, we are overwhelmed at what, what you are doing, that you are building your church as you promised to do. You're building your church around the world. It's not limited to this room. It's not limited to this city or this state or this country. Around the world, Lord Jesus, you are at work to build your church. We are amazed. We praise you for that, that your work will not be thwarted, that you will build your church. We thank you especially for the way you have been building your church right here in this room for 10 years. We pray, Jesus, that you would give us such a heart that we would long to see your church grow. Uh, not only uh, in numbers, not, not just get bigger, but grow more deeply in fellowship with you, in communion with you, and in fellowship with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.